These are powerful words in Matthew 11. Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and to anyone to whom the Father, the Son, sorry, wills to reveal him. He says these words, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me. What is just before that passage is that the people wouldn't repent from the miracles that he'd been doing. He says in 11.20, Then he began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. You know, Jesus did miracles so we'd come to him and not stand there and admonish the miracle but never come to the one and learn from the one of the miracle. And when he fed the 15,000, it wasn't about feeding 15,000. He was trying to make a point, say, I'm the bread of life. You've missed it if you think it was just about the miracle. You're supposed to come to me and realize that I am the bread, that we are to learn from him. And yet his ways are hidden. His ways are concealed to be discovered they're not they're not concealed from us they're for us but they're hidden and so he requires a people that are prepared to go digging he looks and he says you know this is good this is this is a good way that you've hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent meeting those that are have pride they're proud in heart you've hidden it from the man that thinks he can come into it through his own ability this is a good way father For the Son is the only one who knows the Father, and the Father is the only one who knows the Son, and to whom the Son wills to reveal the Father's ways. So then you've got to come to me if you want me to reveal my Father's ways. There's no other way but through me that I can teach you my Father's ways and learn. And now these are the words just very powerful. The Holy Spirit just said that this this is a learning place where we can actually learn the Father's ways. And that's what we're teaching, the Father's ways, because the Father's ways bring life. Man's ways don't bring any sort of life, apart from a counterfeit life. And so we are to learn. He says, I'm humble, I'm gentle. Learn from me. Take my teachings upon you. Take my yoke upon you and allow my teaching to form and shape you. So I hope that encourages you because this is what this, that's what every environment's about, but Especially this in this area of the fivefold, because it's God's blueprint with the Spirit of God to build the people of God. We need all the elements if we are to be complete. It's not good enough to have four, three, two, one, all. God wants all because He wants to build an all people. Amen. So I just want to encourage you to learn, allow yourself. Allow your mindsets to be challenged. Maybe allow yourself to put a mindset down that maybe you've thought is of Him. Maybe it's not. And allow the Spirit to define if it is or not. 
But I want to encourage you to learn and continue to learn and grow. Because that's what it's about, isn't it? Growth, maturing, maturity, being able to live out the wisdom of God and be the demonstration of God. So, Thanks, team. Awesome. Thanks, Jay. What are we doing, buddy? Are we preaching from the stool? Right, welcome everybody. For those that uh, don't know me, I'm Chris. And uh, I just want to say what a powerful sessions these have been. And I was saying to Greg the other day that uh, it's not like teaching sessions. They've actually been powerful downloads that God has given us that has been hitting right here. And I pray that more and more that we would allow those downloads to really alter us and to change us and to place us in positions of actually seeking God to know exactly what he's asking. And uh, so some powerful things have come from this, and it's just been really fantastic. But I'm speaking about the counterfeit apostles. This is where if you had uh, mood music, you'd have something really (laughs) deep and dark. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But uh, if I was to say the word... The Tower of Pisa. What's the first thing that comes to mind? Everybody knows it's a leaning building. Why is it a leaning building? (laughs) The Italians built it. Very good. (laughs) Yeah, the foundations weren't deep enough, and they were also built, it was built on swampy ground. And so when they actually were building it, they got to the third story and it started to lean. And so they didn't know what to do. And they argued amongst themselves. And at that time, the architect apparently took off with the money. It was never seen again. For the next 75 years, they argued over what they were going to do with it. Should they pull it right down and start again? Or do they continue? But it actually became quite popular. It became a popular building, so they continued it on, and they built this this structure, and of course the higher they got, the more it sort of leaned. And of course they've spent millions of dollars trying to strengthen it over the centuries to try and make sure it doesn't pop over. But they also said that if it does fall over, they're going to rebuild it exactly how it was (laughs) because it's a big money spinner. But what they've really ended up with is a building that's not functional. And the same thing with our lives too. If, if our foundations in us are not accurate or built on the right things on Christ, we will wobble. We'll go here, there, and everywhere. And when the storm hits, what will happen? We will fall down. But notice how it was popular. It, it earned a lot of money. And so we get a lot of churches that actually keep doing it because 
They don't want to change because it's popular. And even if that church falls over, they'll build one exactly the same because it's popular. We don't seem to learn very well. But God is doing something so different at the moment where he's wanting to change everything so he builds the church, one that's not going to topple over. Right, it says in your notes, apostles and prophets are foundation layers. They're foundation layers. They have the anointing and the power to decree God's plans and purposes in the earth and to bring the eternal down from heaven and into the now. God uses them to uproot and pull down everything that is not of him and cause that which is out of alignment with his plans to become straight and true again. I don't know whether you've seen um, Zerubbabel. And um, Zechariah saw him standing there with a plumb line. A plumb line is one that goes straight down. You can you know, see if everything is straight, dead straight, because of the plumb line. And that's exactly what God is doing. He's using apostles and prophets to get everything back into alignment. They literally are God's instruments to wake up the body of Christ out of its apathy and slumber and cause a shift in the spirit to set his church back on course. God is shaking his church. Do we understand that? It's so imperative that we do because the times ahead are not going to actually get easier. They're actually going to get harder and more difficult. But he wants to build a people that are strong in here that are totally 100% reliant on him who live out of his resource and his strength and everything so that when those times comes, we're not panicking, we're not falling apart, we're not crumbling under the pressure. There's something in us that is a lot stronger than the pressure out there. So God is shaking his church for a good reason. And he uses apostles and prophets to get his message across. The thing is, can we hear it? Can we hear it? It's a big question. So I'm talking about the counterfeit apostle. Of course they're easy to spot. They wear dark, sort of dark clothes and long things with dark shades and those hats. They speak in a deep voice. I can't do that very well, but they speak in a deep voice and have shifty eyes. They're easy to spot, right? If only it was that easy. But it's not. In actual fact, they're imitators of something that is real. And only those, uh, sorry, um, if we don't have our discernment up, we will be coaxed away by the latest thing that comes out. And there'll always be a latest thing. And people will always run to it. But unless we're discerning in our spirit, we will never know and we can be led astray. I guess, uh, how many know that there's a monarch butterfly and a viceroy? And if you look at both of them, they're almost identical. You can't see the difference. 
The only difference between them is that the, the monarch butterfly has a single diet. And it eats on this milkweed plant, which is bitter. But it, it actually saves its life. Because birds will not touch it, because it's, it's horrible, it's poisonous, it tastes foul. But the viceroy eats a lot of different plants and is actually apparently very um, tasty for the birds, not, not for us. <laughs> but you see what I mean? So it uses the disguise of someone else to be protected and to come under it. So one goes through an internal process that changes but the other one, it's only external, and it looks the part, but really isn't. But it's very hard for us to tell the difference. And it's the same with our lives. If we don't go through the correct processes, we can look the part, but in actual fact, on the inside, there's no change or transformation. See, whatever God build, whenever God builds something, the enemy tries to copy it and tries to woo us away. False apostles use many methods to look the genuine article on the outside. And what's more, they genuinely believe they are. They're passionate about what they believe. They don't wake up in the morning and think, oh, I think I'll be a false apostle. They don't think about it. They genuinely believe what they believe. And so they're passionate about it. However, unless they've been called of God, God and gone through the process, they're only an imitation, not the real thing. Second Corinthians 11, verse 13 to 14 says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Why does, why does Satan try and pick on the apostle? Yeah. If he can screw the foundations right at the very start, boy, see what I mean? So there's a lot of different things going on here. Revelations 2.2 talks about the church at Ephesus. It talks about, I know your works, your labor, and your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. So you've got to know. <laughs> so how can we discern? which is genuine and which is not. Followers that are genuinely walking in the life of him usually recognize if they are or not. And we know them by their fruit. Generally, there's something in us when we're actually living an authentic life in God that we can pick something up in our spirit. They can say the right words, but there's just something just not right there. Or they can be saying the words and you know they're it's, it's just false. It's not just a living conviction. Followers who are genuinely... Sorry, I should have... It's part of what you've got to fill in. Sorry. Followers who are genuinely walking in the life of him will usually recognize if they are or not. We know them by their fruit. Their true humility will be evident as we as will garpe love that doesn't revile against those who oppose him. So you'll know who is, who is an accurate one, who is one, and who's a false one by the fruit that comes out. And false apostles, language, actions, attitudes, desires, and the lack of 
love are often clues. Most of all, something in our spirits can detect when something's not quite right. As they say, often the best way to know uh, uh, which way is to know the genuine article really well. We can study hundreds of false of this and that, but there's only one genuine. So it's better to know the genuine so that you're not going here, there, and everywhere. So let's look at the very first one. Number one, a true apostle has a father's heart. Has a father's heart. This is so powerful. God uses his building, uh, God, sorry, God uses his building instruments, apostles and prophets, to help stir and shake the church. But his motive behind it is what? Love. Everything God does was done out of love. He's not shaking us because he's, he's trying to punish us. He's not trying to, um, trying to make things difficult for us or anything like that. But as a father, he knows that there is so much more for us to come into. And he will never push us. He will never try and you know, make us do it. But as a loving father, he will open up the opportunities for us to come into it. If we want it, if we want it. And apostles carry the Father's heart. And it, it's out of his love, the Father's love, that he operates. And that's why apostles are hated so much, believe it or not. Because they're bringing the Father's heart, and sometimes that means discipline as well. Sometimes it means the, the hard facts or the truth that actually we're out of alignment. Somebody's got to say it. Somebody's got to speak it out. And a father's heart can see his, his um, children running towards the face of the cliff, wants to warn them about what is coming on, even though we may not always appreciate it. 1 Corinthians 4 says this, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you, for though... You might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ I have begotten you through the gospel, therefore I urge you, imitate me. That's a father's heart right there. And it's true the same today. We have many pastors, teachers, and evangelists. In fact, over the last, I suppose, from the 70s onwards to about... 2010 really, most of the churches around the world were run by pastors, teachers, and evangelists. And really, that's one why this reason why there's a lack of maturity. Because fathers or apostles bring their children into maturity. When you've only got the other three operating, they're very earthly focused. And therefore, the, a lot of the children have never grown up or matured. And it's really a product of what we have built over those years. But the apostle carries people in their heart. And love can be tough. Uh, what is best for us, uh, they know what is best for us, and they carry, apostles carry the sight of the Father. They see what the Father wants for his children. 
And they want us to enter into it, and so they declare it and decree it, which is more than what we sometimes see. Colossians 4.19 says, My little children, for when I am in labor, uh, sorry, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. That's Paul's heart as a father, to see Christ formed in our hearts. And apostles had the same heart to see Christ formed in us. True apostles pray, protect, and guard, and watch over the sheep, leading us by example, laying their lives down for us. Because apostles see God's plan, the bigger purposes. And sometimes that means letting us go, just like the prodigal son. Why in the prodigal son did the father hold on, not hold on to him? Why did he not say, no, you're not going? Because he loved him so much, he let him go. And apostles do the same thing too. Praying that we will come back and turn. A false apostle can have a dictator's heart. Not all false apostles, but quite a few can have a dictator's heart. Wanting to draw people to themselves rather than Christ. They often have strong and dominating personalities who demand respect and honor. You know, back in the 2000 bracket, 2000 to 2010, there were a lot of emerging so-called apostles and prophets and all sorts of things coming up. In fact, it was very popular to have the fivefold ministry. That's when it was starting to come up. But they saw themselves at the top of the triangle and everybody else underneath. They saw it like a corporate ladder and they worked their way up to the top and they demanded respect from people below. And I saw, some of the stuff I saw grieves me now from what I saw. But it wasn't until I saw the authentic that I knew. People were just a means to an end to build their own plans disguised as gods. And they can also become very insecure. A lot of them were very insecure, trying to hold on to their title, trying to hold on to what they were doing and to building. And when things went wrong, they blamed the people. And I, I've seen so much of this over in, in those, those years where a lack of love was evident, where people were burnt out or made mistakes. They were often shelved, labeled, or written off. You know, our Heavenly Father doesn't write us off. And I'm just so grateful for his love towards us that actually restores us and helps us to stand up again. Number two, a true apostle has a sent dimension. Called by God and not man. Usually the oddest choice. Not that I'm saying... Greg is odd, but he does, he does like country and western music. So, <laughs> Galatians say this, Paul says, uh, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. 
Ephesians 1, 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. 1 Timothy 1, 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God, our Savior, and our Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. And then 2 Timothy 1, 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. And there are just so many times when he said, you know, I've been called of God, not man. Right throughout history, God has chosen the oldest characters to fulfill his decrees upon the earth. There were people who the church establishment often overlooked or looked down on. I mean, the 12 apostles, if you like, they were nobodies. Why were they not chosen from the Levitical schools that were out there? The people who were learning all these different things. But he chose fishermen and a tax collector and a zealot and You know, you think, why? In Luke 6, 12, Luke 6, 12 to 13 says, Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to maintain, sorry, went out to a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself and from them he chose 12 whom he named apostles. Of course, Judas was one of those apostles. Jesus had called him. That's interesting, isn't it? Arthur Katz. I don't know whether you've heard of Arthur Katz before. He was an amazing man of God, but he was hated by the church establishment. Why? Because he spoke the truth. And he was rattling the cages of all these churches around the world because they had it comfortable. They had it all sorts of flashy shows and everything like that. And he was saying, he was cutting right through it and saying, it doesn't impress God. He was hated by those uh, church establishments, but loved by people because he brought the truth. And often apostles are hated by others. Apostles have a scent dimension. There is a difference between scent and went. They can look similar. But only one can do the authentic work of God. doesn't matter what you build. doesn't matter how impressive it is or was. If you were not truly sent by God to build it, it's still a man-made work. And that may sound harsh, but it's a reality. Man, I've been in a lot of building projects, if you like, not building buildings so much, but doing this ministry or that ministry or this or that. And you have to wonder sometimes, what have I actually built? You know, it's not going to stand up to the fire that God places. It's going to be burnt up. But if it's a genuine work of God, it will remain. It'll become gold and pure. I want to, you know, I want us all to be involved in that. And we don't build anything, but God builds it. But we can be open to be vessels that God uses. This is why God is releasing his true apostles and prophets upon the earth to shake his church to bring us into what he has for us. In order to do that, he has to shake the foundations. They have to be uprooted. Any root system that's not of him has to come out. Otherwise, it will be an entrapment for us. We will be wanting to walk forward into what God has for us, but we'll feel this pull behind us constantly. It has to go. God is so passionate about us that he has poured out his love towards us 
that even though it may feel the opposite at times. And only apostles had the power to speak to that which is false and expose it for what it really is and create a platform to cause spiritual eyes to be opened. Only apostles can really speak to it. Because why? I mean, a teacher can teach about something, and we can learn a lot in here. But when an apostle speaks from a downline from God, boom, it hits us in here. Suddenly our world is shaken and we're just, what's going on? But it's God actually doing something in here to get our attention so that, ah, what have I been exposed to? What's actually happened? You know, my life had to go through that a number of times where God had to start to open our eyes to a new reality we didn't even know existed. And little by little, over the years, God has opened more of our eyes. Boy, it's a shock when you suddenly see where you've come from and what you were doing before because it all seems, how come I didn't see it before? It becomes irrelevant. And only those who have been truly sent by God can do the true work of God upon the earth. And often they are voices crying out in the wilderness omitting a frequency that can't be heard by the flesh, but only by the spirit. It's like a tuning fork that rings a sound that goes forth, and can we hear it? Or are our ears deafened to it? Because there's so much more distractions and noise around the place. When Sandra and I first arrived in 2010, we could feel a spiritual battle going on in this place. All we knew was that God was calling us here because God was doing a genuine work in this place and we were to support the man of God. That's all God said to us. We had no idea who Greg was. We had no idea what he looked like, what he sounded like. I'd never heard a sermon from him at all, but we knew God was doing something in this place. All we knew that God was leading us into and that it would not be pretty. Actually, in some ways, I didn't really want to come. (laughs) But I knew God was doing something significant, and I wanted to be there. Because I knew that whenever truth is preached, you have a ruckus. Everything goes ballistic, because our, our worldly mentalities are upset and challenged. And it means that sometimes... We've got to come off our pedestals and actually eat humble pie. And I've had to eat humble pie before, (laughs) a number of times. Now, it felt, when we were here, it felt like things were going, everybody was going in a hundred different directions. Can I be honest with you? There was all sorts of different things, and I'm not trying to put down what happened before or 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 speak disrespectfully about what happened here or anything like that. But our observation in the spirit was there was a lot of people going, there was a lot of, there was a finish line over there and a finish line over there and a finish line over there and and people were just all over the show. But in the midst of all that chaotic stuff, there was a voice crying out in the wilderness. And it seemed totally out of place. But it was a frequency we honed in on. It was God was on it. Then things started to get worse, not better. Upheaval started, things started closing down, all sorts of things. You see, God was shifting directions. 
And it takes a lot to actually get our attention sometimes. And it was going ballistic. Yet in the wilderness, the voice kept crying out for those who would listen. And then we had a huge exodus of people. But in the, in the midst of all of that, we had some of the most powerful prophetic words spoken into this place about God, what, we, you know, what God was doing. And it was exactly what was being preached by that voice in the wilderness. And God can be declaring something so clear and yet we can still be walking away. And it's so sad. Purely because our worlds have been upset. And we don't want to lose what we've got or what we've done. Yet slowly over this last seven years, it's been amazing to watch the changes that have been taking place in people's hearts. Suddenly there's more people tuning into the sound. Suddenly hearts are opening up. Suddenly there's intimacy. Suddenly we're actually having true worship where people are not just, it's not just singing, but it's our very lives towards God. Mentalities are changing and renewing of the minds. There's so many different things happening. Now we're all at different paces, but that's okay. As long as we're all on the same journey. Now we're going for one finish line. It's easier to manage. (laughs) It's what God intended in the first place, to be honest. And both Sandra and I have had to have our eyes open. You know, when we came, it was strange. You think you've got it all together. Only to find that actually God wanted to change you. (laughs) I had a lot of changes. I had to have a lot of foundational stuff ripped out again. And I'm pleased. I really am grateful. Because without it, you know, I'd, I'd hate to think where I am. I would be today. You know, the pain is worth it. The pain is worth it. A false apostle is appointed by man to a position. A false apostle is appointed by man to a position that carries a title and carries a title. They're often position orientated or climbing the corporate ladder. You know, the corporate ladder is a worldly system, a worldly Babylonian mindset. And just because they're a leader uh, of a number of different congregations, they are not apostles. And there was a very significant time when people thought that just because they, they had a whole lot of different churches that they were apostles. Actually, that doesn't qualify them at all. They have to be called of God. And there was, it was funny because between 2000 and 2010, when the fivefold became very, very popular, suddenly churches realized they didn't have the fivefold. So they thought, well, we'll have to create it. We'll have to somehow have it to be seen by having it. And particularly a lot of bigger churches there suddenly we're in panic mode as I say, well, who's the apostle and who's the prophet and who's, who's this and who's that? And so then thought, well, because I've done this and that, I must be the apostle and because you've done this, you must be the prophet. You know, it doesn't work like that, but that's exactly what happened. It actually created a lot of, nothing really changed. When an apostle and a prophet there, things get turned upside down. 
But all they did was change names and titles and everything carried on exactly as it was before. It was all external. There was nothing in here that changed. So they do everything they can to keep their position and to try and keep people in need of them. They don't like competitors, so they protect their patch. And I've seen this happen. And it's really, really is sad to see, but I've, I've witnessed it. Where you get big, big leaders who say they're apostles or they're prophets or they're this or that, and they argue. because. And, and I remember one time when it was, it was almost like they were competing. Who was going to be the first speaker at this thing? And who was going to take, who was going to get more camera time? And who was going to get this? And who was going to get that? And suddenly there were, there were, there was a lot of arguing. And some of them in the end weren't talking to each other. Is that the fivefold that God's trying to build? Because at the end of the day, it was self orientated. I'm not trying to speak disrespectfully of people. I'm just saying it as I saw it. And it grieved me. And that is why God is calling people who are prepared to die to themselves so that when the fivefold work together, there is oneness and love operating between them. In the hands of God, his design and patterns are beautiful. However, man's attempts come way short of it. And that's what God is trying to do. If those in the fivefold learn how to die to self and not compete, and not try and outdo each other and everything like that, but actually submit and lower themselves. It's a beautiful thing. Because they no longer live for themselves but for God. And guess what? The people follow that. You get a whole people doing exactly the same thing. Before, it was the apostle up there, the prophet and the pastor and the teachers and everything like that, and the people were down underneath, squashed down. But God's model is different. It's like the apostles are on the bottom with the, with the uh, prophets and then the other three ministries and then you've got all the people there lifting them up, being lifted up. It's a beautiful thing when you see how God wants to do it. No, matter, no wonder he's trying to take back the church because man's efforts are pretty pitiful really. Number three, an apostle, a true apostle has been broken and emptied of themselves. having broken and emptied of themselves, dead to self, yet alive in God. Galatians 2.20 It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. They're prepared to lay down their lives for their sheep. You know, Paul used to say, I die daily. Second Corinthians 4.10 Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. For we who live are always, uh, always delivered to death for the sake of uh, Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. And uh, just for the sake of time, Second uh, Corinthians 1.9, he talks about the sentence of death in ourselves. So why doesn't God use every, anybody? 
or everybody? Wouldn't it be easier if God just showed his plans to everybody and everybody could see it and we'd get the job done a lot quicker, right? Well, God knows the heart of man. He knows our pride. He knows our own agendas, our ability to twist and manipulate it to suit ourselves, to use it against each other, to totally misrepresent it and to do it our way, being totally fleshy and earthly. The list could go on. But Jesus never entrusted himself to a man, for he knew what was in them. So right throughout time, God has revealed and entrusted his plans to certain individuals who were willing to be emptied of themselves, who would build according to all that God showed them, accurately, where there was no room for man to add on his own little bit. We see King Saul. He was given specific instructions. And when Samuel came, what did he find? He said, I hear sheep bleating. I hear animals. And of course, Samuel was saying, or Saul was saying, oh, well, I, I just kept the extra for God. But that's not what God told him. God told him to destroy everything. But he kept back some. Really, it was for himself. It was a selfish thing. It wasn't a godly thing at all. God's not looking for people who are going to add on to what God wants to build. He's looking for people who can carry out his plans accurately. You know, none of us would be alive today if Noah hadn't built the ark exactly according to God's plan. <laughs> That's the simple truth. God gave him the specific plans. Could you imagine if he said, well, I don't think we, I just built all these extra holes so that we could have a bit more air ventilation. I thought that would be great. <laughs> you know, it's so true, isn't it? We try to add on to what God wants to do. But it would take a person who was able to stand under the, under the pressure and ridicule of those around him who wouldn't deviate from what God had shown him. Noah was a type of apostle. And they are men called of God, not men. who are usually nobodies, nobodies in the eyes of the world, yet God chooses them to issue forth his plans and purposes upon the earth because they have no other agenda but his. And unless you're emptied of yourself you will always carry on part of your agenda into it. And God is looking for those that are willing to totally surrender so that their agenda is totally gone so that he will, they'll only build his. Moses was another one. A broken man. Yet when God called him, he said, his response was, here am I. There was no... It was an unconditional surrender. Even though he felt inadequate to carry out the task, see, God, use, sorry, God uses apostles who carry a humble heart and are reliant on him, not their own strength. Paul would rather boast in his iniquities. Oh, sorry, not, sorry, not his iniquities, his infirmities, <laughs> his weaknesses. <laughs> that the power of God may rest upon him. A false apostle is one that hasn't been through the process or hasn't been through the full process. They can start on that journey and then cut it short and refuses to lay everything down. 
There is still part of them that is alive and kicking. Unless an internal work has been done, which can take years, they will only display something that is external. There's something in our culture, in, in the way that we live, in the, the, the day that we live, where we have to have everything so instantly. But God doesn't work like that. I mean, God can click his fingers and it can happen like that, but he is actually building our character and shaping us from the inside out, and that's not a quick work. Some of the greatest characters in the Bible took years until God knew that they were ready. If they'd gone any sooner, they wouldn't have been able to carry out his mandate. So it's the same with our lives. We, we must not become discouraged. We must not give up, but learning to wait upon him and allow him to do it. Because not only apostles have to go through this, we also have to go through it as well. It's so easy to say, let the apostle do it. I mean, he's the man of God. He's paid to do it. We're too busy. That's often been an excuse for a lot of people. We've all done it. I'm sure we've all said it, myself included. They're the ones that have been paid to do it. They have all the time in the world. In actual fact, they don't. But the thing is, that that's not what God is calling us so that we can get around a man and let the man do it. He's actually calling us all into this. So we all need to be able to spend time with God to grow into that. There's a process. And you know, this comes through humbling of ourselves and being broken so that God can do the work in us. However, God will not share his glory with another. And with apostles and prophets, it doesn't matter what ministry you've got, if there is no true surrender and dying to self, he will not share his glory with another. Our hearts have to be clean. Otherwise we'll taint God's work, uh, works with his, well, their own version. And in some cases, his, sorry, I'll start again. They'll always taint God's works with their own version and in some cases seek the glory and praises of men. You know, a good thing to ask people is, what is your journey? What is God actually doing in you? Because you can ask some people, what is God doing? And they have no idea. And yet they're in ministry. They can tell you a lot of scriptures. They can tell you a lot of you know, things that they know. But what's actually happening in here? It's a big indicator. What's their journey? I was always told, never trust, uh, never trust a man without a limp. Jacob wrestled with God. And a true apostle, a true apostle and prophet will always have been wrestling. And they will come out changed. They won't be the same as what they went into. The temptation is to shorten the process and hurry God along, yet God knows when each of us are ready because he sees the bigger picture. Moving right on, number four. How are we going for time? A true apostle knows what it is to wait upon God and to abide in him. See, each of these are linked when you think about it. Intimacy comes from a rest position in him. True life and refreshment flows out of them 
as a natural result, it's called fruit. You don't have to try and produce it. It just comes out automatically. It's about knowing him and living their lives to please God. And this takes time by sitting at his feet. Something that we have totally gone away from and built in the body of Christ over the last 20, 30 years. We've got people so orientated on doing stuff that we've lost the intimacy. We've actually created that problem ourselves. It was not, God never had it that way at all. And our doing comes out from a position of rest. And this is where the biggest transformation takes place. Did you know that Paul took three years out of the public eye to be, that we don't know really what happened? It was his time of transformation. In Galatians 1, verse 17 and 16, he took three years he was in a certain place. God was working on him. Sometimes we just think, click. He had that amazing encounter with God and he was suddenly changed. Yes, he was suddenly changed, but there was more to happen in here before he actually went, went out into the world. If an apostle is results-driven, they will sacrifice the intimacy to get the job done. And everything Jesus did was out of intimacy with his father. No matter how busy his day was, he often would retreat into a mountainside or a lonely place and pray. And he would only speak and see what his father was doing. It was a beautiful oneness. He was with his father in oneness up there and also down here. There was no change. And that's what apostles should be like. One with their father in the heavenlies and here. Out of that closeness, Jesus operated. A true apostle walks closely with God in oneness with him. He carries his father's heart to the people and releases God's power and love upon the earth. Everything the apostle does comes down from his abiding position. Intimacy is non-negotiable. And yet I've seen so many, I guess, talented ministers, I don't know whether you call them talented or what, who started off really well, but their intimacy, the time with God got less and less and less and less, and their ministry got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and in the end they fell. And it's really sad to see. A false apostle is one that is consumed with external works. A false apostle is one that is consumed with eternal, sorry, external works, stressed and burnt out, doing everything in their own strength and spinning plates. And as we know, and we've, we've often talked about it, there's nothing worse than trying to keep something man-made going. It takes more time. It takes more money. It takes more effort. It takes more people to keep the same thing going. Yet, uh, if it's not of God, why on earth are we doing it? And these works can often be used as a cover-up for the lack of intimacy in our lives. They show, uh, often apostles, false apostles love a show, and uh, love a show, and the attention, and the recognition of building something great for God. 
Sadly, this is filtered right down into the body of Christ, where we become so much more comfortable doing the works rather than sitting his feet. And a lack of true oneness and love in the body is evidence of that. Number five, a true apostle sees from an eternal perspective and downloads the heavenly blueprints. And this is why often in the body of Christ, many fail to understand what the apostle is declaring. Because they can't see it. And because so many of the body of Christ, including myself, had a, an earthly mindset. And suddenly somebody comes along with a heavenly mindset and you think, they're, they're absolutely crazy. you know. And we write them off because our little minds cannot understand it or grasp it. And our hearts have become hardened toward what God is trying to say. It feels so foreign to us because we, f- we feed on a fleshy diet of earthly expectations. When the children of Israel came out of Egypt, it was exactly the same. They could not understand what God was doing, yet they saw all the miracles, they saw all these different things, and yet they still longed for what was back there. And if we still long for what is back there, we will never let it go and press forward. And God wants us to let go so that we can come into something far greater if only we will see it. And this is why God is revealing his plans and purposes to us through his servants. Authentic apostles are not afraid to declare an accurate picture that it may, at times may shock us, yet it also can spur us on. The power within their words can either repulse us or grip the very depths of our being causing the, to alter the path that we've been traveling. You know, the messages that we hear in this place have the pow- power to literally catapult, catapult us into the very life God wants us to come into if we tune our hearts into what he's saying. Generally, there is a, an apathy in the church right throughout this country that things are okay and we're impressed by different things that we see, the outward signs, the numbers, the exciting programs, the amazing worship bands, the light shows, the charismatic speakers. But Christ did not speak about his church in these terms. When we begin to have our eyes open, we begin to see the true state of the church, and it's not a pretty one. And God is calling out his message so that he can arrest our hearts and awake us out of the slumber and cause everything, yes, to come upside down because actually he's putting it the right side up. But it takes the apostles and prophets to declare his truth so that we can hear it. Otherwise, we'll just sit back doing the same old thing over and over again, thinking we're doing something really well. In actual fact, it's a, it's a big mess. God actually wants to bring in his authentic life and love into, the, into our hearts that we may live from it and experience all that he has for us. There's an eternal purpose that he wants us to come into. 
You know, when you look at some of the messages, I mean, Sandra and I had never heard, really heard, I don't think, one single message on the Bride of Christ until we came here. Why isn't it being preached? It's so, it's so powerful and so important. And yet it's not being preached hardly anywhere. Jeremiah, look at this, Jeremiah 5, verse 30 to 31 says this, An astonishing and horrible thing has been committed in the land. Listen to what it says. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule by their own power. And look at this. And my people love to have it so. That's that's pretty potent. And that's exactly what the church is like today. We've got people prophesying all sorts of different stuff out things out there. We've got all sorts of things. People trying to do it in their own strength and power and minister in their own ways. And the people like it. They have it that way. So when an apostolic and a prophetic word comes, they're rocking the boat. And we don't like it. I hope you I hope you know where I'm coming from. I'm saying this in love. But this is the church right throughout the places is in this apathy of thinking everything's okay. We go to our conferences, we go to this, we go to that. But God is saying, actually, I want to wake you up to a greater reality that will actually shift and change you internally, not just externally. You know, one of the biggest things in the church today is, as you hear it so many times, what's my gifting? What's my role in the church? And we have conferences about it. We pay big money to get big speakers in to talk about it. We, we try different classes and, and all sorts of things go on. And we flock to this and we flock to that. And people still end up being tuned inside. Well, I, I don't really know what my gift is and my ministry and my this and my that. If we listen to the messages of what God is actually trying to proclaim, he's trying to say, stop. Get rid of that. Wipe it out. And within a few seconds, you've actually lifted the millstone right off your neck. Because God doesn't want you to focus on that at all. He wants you to focus on him and his purposes and his plans. And you are fulfilled when you do that. And all the, the fruit in that will just come. You don't have to try and pretend to, to see what your fruit is. It's there. And God is declaring it if we will listen to it. And there's such freedom in that because we don't have to worry about it anymore. We've, all we've done in the, in the past so many decades is put millstones on people's necks and it's got heavier and heavier and heavier. And God's breaking that off and giving us freedom. See what we do when we do that man does it and compared to what God does it? Totally different. A teacher may bring an academic perspective and give a lot of information about it, but an apostle brings a living reality now that causes the body of Christ to focus onto a finish line. When people begin to see the finish line, things change. 
And as I said before, in this place, there was a hundred different finish lines. Now everybody's running in the same direction. It makes such a, such a big thing, such a big different difference. Only apostles have the power to speak to that which is false and expose it for what it really is and create the platform to cause spiritual eyes to be opened. And that's what apostles can only do. Apostles and prophets, sorry, can only do that. Teachers and pastors and evangelists do not carry that weight, that spiritual weight. But there's something different about a teacher and a pastor and a, an evangelist who have come under apostle and prophet. Because suddenly they, their eyes are open and they're living and changing themselves and they come into a new reality. So when the apostle preaches and declares what God is doing and is shaking everything, and, uh, and a teacher particularly gets underneath it, boy, they then can break it down for the people to understand. But unless they too have gone through the transformational process, they'll only ever be teaching something and it'll have no life on it. It'll be information, but no one will be changed. The same with the pastor. You know, we think of pastors getting alongside people and all that sort of thing and patting them on the back and running after them here, there and everywhere. But pastors really are like coaches. And when they come under this anointing and they're changed and transformed themselves, they're encouraging each other to come on this journey. And it's a totally different way of looking at it. And evangelists, the same thing about preaching the whole gospel, not just a small bit of it. But only the apostles and prophets had that ability to expose that which is false. Why? Because they've been stripped of entanglement and can demonstrate a life that is free of the things of this world. And because they've seen what the Father has revealed to them. They have found a great pearl of great price and are willing to let everything else go so that they may pursue him with everything. And they can lead people because they have been there. They are like forerunners. You can't, you can't lead anyone to somewhere where you've never been. I mean, how would you, if, if you had, if, if there was a speaker about the All Blacks and you had Richie McCaw, who's been an All Black and done it and trained and, and gone through all those games, or myself speaking out being about an All Black, who would you prefer to listen to? To be honest. <laughs> now, I, I could research a lot of it. I could go through and I could try and, you know, get a whole lot of stories together and I can probably spin a few yarns and things like that. But wouldn't you want to listen to the authentic person who's actually been there and done it? And it's the same thing with an apostle and a prophet. They can only lead you if they've been there. A false apostle, a false apostle may have head knowledge of the word, but it fails but fails to demonstrate the life of Christ. Fails to demonstrate the life of Christ. As I said, they may be able to teach a very good and inspiring message and yet not live it. And they can try and, and impose a whole lot of rules and regulations on people, and yet if there's no heart shift, it's only conformity. 
And conformity and obedience to those rules is not transformation. Conformity will only go so far, but when the pressure comes on, things will start to crumble. Times ahead will get tougher, as I've said, and God is doing this to warn us now, to equip us and to lead us uh, into, I mean, he's changing us now, so whatever comes ahead, we're able to stand. He's not playing games. So courage is not formed on the battlefield, it's forged on the battlefield. I don't know whether you ever saw that that film, um, uh, what was it called, uh, Hacksaw Ridge? Not yet, an amazing film. And what was the guy's name? Um, Des- uh, Desmond Doss, yeah. And uh, they were talking, some ministers talking about it, and they said, you know, on the battlefield he was wandering around, shifting the wounded. And he rescued 75 in one night while the Japanese were wandering all around him. Because he had a belief that God had sent him there. And he kept praying, God, help me to save one more. Lord, one more. And he rescued so many. The thing is that that courage just didn't happen on the battlefield. It happened the years before when God was working on him. So when times get tough, I mean, we have this mentality when the time gets tough, then it'll be all right. I'll, I'll, I'll some suddenly grow courage, and I'll suddenly be there, and I'll be able to stand. Peter thought the very same thing. I will never deny you. I will, I will fight for you. I will do anything. But when the pressure came, he fell. And the times are going to get tougher. And God wants to do this work in us now so that when it comes, we'll be forged on the battlefield because of the internal work that's already been happening in here the years before, just like David. Unless they too, or the false apostles, have gone through the process, they cannot lead the people to where they haven't been. And I know myself, I've even taught messages over the years that sounded great, but never changed anybody. I'm guilty. And I think we've, you know, <laughs> it can all be like that. In my heart now, once I don't want that anymore. I want God to change me in here, and I can speak of that. Next one. Number six, a true apostle is patient and allows, sorry, a true apostle, a true apostle is patient and allows God to do the work in people, knowing it, it can only be God doing it, not themselves. See Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. A true apostle will lead the people to Christ, not himself, knowing that they can't change anybody. For this to be a genuine work of God on the inside, they have to let God do the building. And there is a letting go, yet a guarding over and a nurturing allowing people to grow and develop. But there's lots of pressure from within the body for the ministers to be seen doing all the right stuff. And you have ministers running around in circles, burning themselves out, running to and fro, meeting the demands of the body. A true apostle is able to walk in a freedom that does not put a millstone around his own neck. That doesn't mean that he doesn't care for the body. In fact, we can often miss construe it or take offense 
that he's not doing what we think he should be doing. And yet everything that he does comes from a position of rest, not striving. He loves the body. And they're able to refresh and encourage the people on their journey. But there is a time they can't run after everybody and they can't change people. They can only impart what God gives them and let God do the building. And that's so important. And there is a very fine line between those that do and those that don't. Because in all of us, there's something about taking back control. A false apostle will demand change and conformity. They will demand change and conformity, and I've, I've seen that, and I've lived through that. The biggest temptation apostles is to take back control. Their enthusiasm and charisma can cause them to cross the line and take over God's role. It can be so subtle, yet it can cause striving and frustration. Paul knew his boundaries. He knew that God was the one that, did the growth, that gave the growth. And when apostles start building man-made projects, burnout is a real possibility, not only for them, but they lead a whole lot of people down the same track and burn them out as well. It becomes a burden, not a real delight. Number seven, a true apostle is not popular. Often misunderstood, persecuted, hated, and ridiculed. As Paul often said, they are fools for Christ. And they literally are, because they do things that seem really crazy to us and our worldly mindsets. We have everything worked out so that it fits in neatly with the world, and yet God is actually turning things up and saying, this is the way it should really be done. But it looks odd. And people react because they can't see what is being portrayed or feel threatened because it means change. And most of us, if we're honest, are creatures of habit. We like things being done a certain way, with a certain regularity. And then what we do is we build walls to protect that around our lives. Because we don't like change. But God is changing everything. He's changing the whole landscape. So you get, you, we need to get used to it. <laughs> It is uncomfortable, but he's doing it to set us free. When God speaks his authentic word through an apostle, it can shake our world. And our response is that we have to defend our position. You know, we've spent years and years, often in our lives, building all sorts of structures. But when the shaking comes, there's a certain give in it. Yet who is really doing the shaking? Who's doing the shaking? He is. Yet what do, what's our response to it? We've got to kill the messenger. We've got to get rid of him. We've got to, you know, there's something in us right throughout time. What do they do with all the, the, the prophets? They stoned them, sawed them in two. They did all sorts of things that were horrible to them. And yet the generations that followed them looked back and thought, oh, we would never do that. Even in Jesus' time, Jesus called them hypocrites because they were thinking exactly that. You know, Isaiah the prophet and all that sort of thing. And he said, you know, here am I and you can't even recognize me. And they wanted to kill him. It's the same today. When God still releases his apostles and prophets upon the earth and we don't agree with it and we find our lives being shaken, 
What do we want to do? We want to kill the messenger. Even in us, you know, in our, but I'm a nice guy. I would never think that. Actually, in our hearts, (laughs) if you look a bit deeper, we can do that, exactly that. And so we become, you know, that that uh, we become so used to a certain person, and when we know their faults, when we know them, this and that, we can we can become so familiar with a person, we can write them off just like that. You know, we have people that come here that are absolutely blown away by the message, and I've heard a number of our friends say, "Why isn't this being preached in our church?" What what's going on here? Why have I never heard this before? And yet often we can sit in this place and let everything just just over the top of us. And we take it for granted because we've become so familiar. But God wants to shake us out of that so that when the word comes, boom, it's hitting here and the changes are happening. Sorry, I know time's rushing on. We're almost at the end. A false apostle can make a name for themselves and have large followings. It used to be that an apostle, prophet, or any, in fact, any of the fivefold ministry, if they hadn't written a whole lot of best-selling books, been on TV or even had their own TV show, spoken all around the world and at the big conferences, and made a name for themselves, they weren't really true ministers of God. Yeah, that's what it used to be like. In some cases, it still is. They speak a message that embraces everyone and is watered down to touch the masses. And the body of Christ has only had a watered-down version of the truth over the last, I don't know how many decades. And it's become very self-centered and weak. Look at this. They are afraid to release the full counsel of God is they may lose people. If they lose people, money walks out the door. If they lose money, they can't fund their big projects. If they can't fund their big projects, they lose reputation. Can you see the cycle? So they've got to water it down to keep the people happy so that everything keeps going. And the cycle goes on. So they compromise and make it more acceptable. That's called man's wisdom, not God's. I remember Arthur Katz saying this. He went to a big uh, church. He didn't say where in the States it was, but it was a big church with a big ministry and a big TV station, everything like that. And behind the church was this huge warehouse. And he was showing around this place, and he went to the warehouse, and there was this, all these conveyor belts and all these hundreds of people there. And there was all this mail pouring in in the thousands of letters. And it was one of those things that, you know, if you pay $20, they would pray for you, or if you paid $100, or if you paid this or that, and you'd get, you know, prayed for and a letter and things like that. And millions and millions of dollars was being brought through this place. And then he saw that they produced a letter with a signature at the bottom of the famous man of God saying that they'd lifted them up in prayer and to thank them for their thing. Well, the man of God didn't even know who those people were. 
It was a sham, the whole thing. And the person who was showing them around laughed and said, you know, you know, even if this guy died, for the next three or four or even ten years, the millions of dollars will still flood into this place. And he laughed about it as if to say, you know, we're set up for life sort of thing. It grieved Arthur Katz. He said it was just a, a factory that was so far removed from what God was doing. It's a sad picture, that one. Number eight, last one. Sorry about the time. A true apostle is prepared to count all things lost for the sake of Christ. They've let go the past achievements and the human endeavors to pursue Christ with everything they have. Philippians 3. Now, when we have our spiritual eyes open through an apostolic word, you begin to see so much more and your perspective changes. It really does. Our whole focus is not the same as what it was. Well, I know in my own life, even from a couple of years ago. And even when I got sick, God started to do a work in me that changed my whole perspective of life. You know, made there was a possibility of us losing the house. It didn't matter anymore. It was only a thing because what was ahead of us was far greater. So when you begin to see the eternal things and what the messages are being portrayed, you actually begin to long for him and his things. And the things of this earth seem so nothing. You know, I look back on my life and there's nothing to hold on to. In fact, it's quite embarrassing when I look back now. I just want to let it go and run forward. And true apostles are able to do that because they've seen something far greater than a stage with a, with a lot of followers and, and uh, people worshipping at their feet and, you know what I mean, taking the glory for themselves. There's something far greater to let everything go and run for that finish line. And I know more and more people, the beautiful thing is more and more people are doing that here and more are joining, and it's a beautiful thing. A false apostle, and this is the last thing, will boast of their achievements for God and the love. Oh, they, sorry, the achievements for God and the love, and love the praises of men, particularly their peers. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know who I am and what I've done for the kingdom of God? I've heard that sort of thing happen before. <laughs> there is something in all of us that loves to be recognized for what we have achieved. And if we don't get the recognition, we get upset. True? There's something in all of us wants that recognition. But unless we're fully surrendered to him, we will want the glory for ourselves and God's not going to share his glory with another. And apostles are no different. If they're not truly surrendered, they will look for the approval of man and the glory of man. And I've seen a number of godly men and women that have fallen because they've built their whole thing on false foundations. And as they've crashed down, they've taken a lot of people with them. Why? Because they drew men and women to themselves. And when their worlds have been shattered, 
suddenly their whole thing with God is just shaken. They, they blame God, they blame others, they walk away, disappointed, you know, call this God sort of thing. But God's not doing that. With true apostles, he's calling them to himself, not to themselves, but to him. So that we may truly stand on God. Greek's not going to be here forever. What happens if he was taken out of the picture tomorrow in a car crash? Where would our foundations be? In a man? In a ministry? Or in him, God? That's where it's pointing, where it's what God is wanting to do in all of us. So I want to encourage you guys in this journey. I mean, there was a lot of stuff in there, and I mean, there's a heck of a lot more than that. But the thing is that God wants to build strong foundations in us, that he's the foundation and not anything else, that our hearts are fully surrendered so that we can stand and enter into all that he has for us. And we've hardly tasted any of it. There's so much more. Thank you very much. That was pretty cool, eh? Um, that's uh, the last one of the apostle, but um, during the week, as I was praying, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me that he wants us to just have one more. And so I shared with the elders this afternoon what they thought, and they said yes. And what I felt God say to me was, teach on what the impact of the apostolic gift is to have on the people. So what does it mean to be apostolic? What does that look like? And that's what I want to talk about next Sunday. So we're going to have this next Sunday. You don't have to come, but love you to be here. Um, It will be online. Um, obviously, but I'm going to talk about how the gift is to impact the people. Because we're not all called to be apostles, but we are called to be apostolic. Okay? And as I've said before, some people have just put that up as we're the apostolic church. It's just a title. No, we're called to be apostolic. We know what it means to be prophetic. We know what it means to be evangelistical. We know what it means to be pastoral. We know what it means to be teacher. But the apostle one is like, Eh? And so I want to unpack that because it's a people, it's a movement, it's Christ's followers. Jesus was the apostle. And so if you look at the attributes of Christ, he wants those attributes operating in you and I. And so love to see you there, no pressure to be there, um, but we'll unpack that and make that the last one. Um, so at least one person come out so I'm not talking to myself, <laughs> just to encourage me. Um, but I hope, I hope, <laughs> I hope you're getting um, some real meat in what you've had over the last four weeks. I hope it's defining things for you. I hope it's making sense of the journey and why uh, maybe you maybe haven't understood me or maybe why sometimes you might have thought, man, this guy sounds harsh, he sounds extreme. I'm hoping maybe that's brought some understanding as to, to why that is. Not that I like country music, but some of the things that I might say may appear outside of, what's this guy on about? But there's a reason for it. 
Um, and so as we go forward, we'll unpack the prophetic, and we want to have tangible ministry time for that. So part of these nights, it's a, it, it is, the apostolic's too hard. Well, you, how do you demonstrate apostolic? Well, you do it in your day-to-day life once it's in you and through you, but with the prophetic, we want to have time, we're allowing six weeks for this, where we're actually going to have prophetic ministry time where we're going to teach you how to prophesy. Um, and that'll be like all the other giftings as well. So when we hit the teaching, we're going to have everyone teaching. So you're going to get an opportunity to come up here and have five minutes and teach. So this isn't just about information. This is about practical training and equipping because that's what the fivefold's about. It's the equipping and the building up of you to be out there in the world being Christ-like. Yeah? So if it just stays in a room, it's pointless. We might as well have not have done the whole thing. It's got to get out of walls and into the earth because that's where Jesus ministered. He spent most of his time in the marketplace and then up a mountain with his father, then back in the marketplace. And so thanks for coming out. Um, once again, I, it's funny, eh? I, I thought we'd have questions, but I, I just sense God's just saying not, just, just eat, eat, and probably next week we'll have some time because I don't want to speak for long. I know I say that all the time. <laughs> but um, it won't be long because I want to want to have an opportunity to have questions, and we may even have like a panel or something that we can just pull off the other giftings as well that we have. So have a cool week. Um, thanks, Chris, again. Great word, buddy. And um, have a chat if you want. Hang around, but feel free to go too. <laughs>